So my name is Brian LaCroix. Um, I am married to Melanie. We together have four children. Um, we own and operate Chick-fil-A on Southwest Drive and have been there for 16 years. We've been in Abilene almost a total of 18. So tell us a little bit about what generosity has looked like in your own lives. To me, generosity, I think everyone always looks at generosity as money is the first thought that comes to mind. And um, I mean, even as a little girl, I always wanted to help people and do um, whatever I could um, for others. And um, I've kind of looked at generosity in that way throughout life. What's been the hardest part about being open-handed with your finances? So one of the hardest parts is, is you're gonna get burned. You're, you're gonna have people who disappoint you that you help that fail. And it's hard. It's, it's very hard to continue to be open-handed and giving of time, of resources, of, of money, because it may, there's a good chance it's not gonna get returned to you. We helped a young lady financially one time and she came back in the restaurant five years later and paid me back. I'd forgotten all about it and it was a substantial couple thousand dollars worth of, of money and it was, she was so proud that she got to bring that envelope back in and it had been years. It was just cool. It was cool for her, but it was really cool for me and uh, it was pretty emotional. How have you seen the scripture, it's more blessed to give than receive kind of be played out in your own life, maybe even in your family? I just think throughout life, we have opportunities to um, plant those seeds. And a lot of times we may not see what all comes from the generosity that we give, but um, just know that the Lord and trust that the Lord's gonna use that. I think for me, the, the joy in giving is, is you, you're, you're changing trajectory for a lot of people. Maybe you're fam changing a family path. Um, maybe you're helping break some generational sin and getting some people going in some new ways. So we reached out to some of your team and just asked if a few of them might have some stories of the way that they've seen y'all live out what you've talked about. So I'm going to read you a couple of letters. The opportunities that I've always been given have been life-changing. They helped me get my college education. I've been part of several different leadership development programs. I was even given a life coach for two years at no cost to me. The craziest thing about all this is they've done it for multiple people as well. When I reached my 15 year mark, they gave me a very generous gift that was more money than we even had in our bank account and we were in complete shock. We've been praying for, we had been praying for months for a sign to begin tithing. And that was the answer to the prayer that we had been praying and we started immediately. By watching how freely they give has been a huge inspiration. It's transformed our lives and I'm sure many others. This person said, if a person is thought to be generous or have generosity, they, is, they are viewed as someone who gives more of something like money or time than what is necessary or expected. Generous in my eyes will always be Brian and Melanie LaCroix. They've been in courtrooms to give support and love during child custody battles. They've been in emergency rooms and doctor's offices to lend comfort and friendship. They've provided food and shelter and transportation and utilities for many and have even funded emergency air conditioner repairs in the middle of July. The impact you two have made on so many lives is inspirational. You both are loved and respected more than you'll ever know. Thank you for all that you've done for me and my family, and thank you for being great imitators of Christ. In January, I've worked at Chick-fil-A for two years. When I began my journey there, I'd only been out of prison for two months after having served four years in TDCJ. I was consumed with trepidation and self-doubt. As a 46-year-old female with a felony conviction, I knew that I was labeled a failure in the eyes of society. Through Missy and New Beginnings, God opened a door for me to interview for the South Clack location. I was filled with shame and was unsure that Christ would help me in the free world. 
A week later, I had the fortune of meeting Brian at the mall location. I was amazed you knew my name, as you're the owner and the operator. I never thought you would even acknowledge me. I was certain you would take the one look at me and I'd be fired. Melanie, during the initial phase of COVID, you came to the South Clack location to grab some flour. You may not remember, but you showed me undue kindness. I was still wrapped in the cloud of being less than. You blessed me that day by making me feel more like a normal woman. Brian, I want you to know that the culture you've established is unlike anything I've ever known. The time that you spent with me working on my life plan will never be forgotten. It was your encouragement and wisdom that enabled me to pursue my goal of becoming a recovery coach. I simply could not have accomplished that without you. Thank you both for being obedient to Christ's call in your life by helping those like me from the, who've come from the muck and the mire. So tell me about joy and generosity. I, realizing that that joy of just giving unconditionally to people, I mean, it's just awesome. And there are times it's hard. There are times where it is hard to write a check or it is hard to give because there's times you're tired. There are times you don't want to do it. But the times that you push through that, I mean, just unbelievable stories come from it later on of thankfulness from others. And I would say that's probably where I find the most joy now is just giving unconditionally and just seeing what happens. That's awesome, huh? And now we all want Chick-fil-A. And it's Sunday, tough. Sorry about you. There's nothing worse than a pastor using a Chick-fil-A reference on a Sunday morning and then just, I had nothing you could do. Um, <laughs> I love, uh, we, I was talking to Brian and Melanie before and I was kind of just like asking them a bunch of dumb questions, trying to make them feel comfortable or whatever. And I, I asked Brian, I was like, so tell me, like, what is your favorite menu item? He's like, all right, don't tell anyone this. So I'm going to tell all of you. Uh, he was like, it's an off menu item. And I go to the donut shop and I get a dozen donuts. And then I come back to the store and I order a spicy chicken filet. And then I put a spicy chicken filet in between two donuts and I eat it. Like, God help your arteries. Like that is, I mean, it sounds great, but it also sounds like you're just hoping to make it out the door. Um, I love listening to Brian and Melanie talking. Actually, when I preached on Thursday, I had a, a guy come up to me and he was like, man, I got to tell you what this family has done for me and in my life. And he just told me 20 minutes of God using them in his own life. And it's because Brian and Melanie caught a hold of a principle that I want us to look at today. It's called the principle of sowing and reaping. So if you will, grab a Bible. We're going to be in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, there's one around you. You can grab one of our Bibles. It's page 968. We'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. And we say every week, hey, open up the Bible and like really open it up. We're gonna camp out in this text all morning long. But also because anytime somebody gets on this stage and talks, you should be checking whatever they're saying against scripture because if it doesn't line up, then throw everything away that doesn't align up with scripture. And this one is, a, I'll just tell you, I'll be upfront with you. There are parts of this sermon that are gonna make you uncomfortable and gonna make you question, is that actually in the Bible? And yes, it is, because I wouldn't be standing up here and saying it. But B, don't trust me, okay? Like check it, make sure. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, and it says this. The point is this. Maybe it says this. I tried to click. I broke it. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That scripture says a truth I want us to grab hold of today. 
The law of sowing and reaping is undefeated. All right, everybody say this word, undefeated. undefeated. Let's try again, undefeated. undefeated. All right, what is Texas Tech never? Okay, there you go, good. Making sure you're all listening. I grew up in Lubbock, it's okay, we were the worst. Okay, so the law of sowing and reaping is undefeated. Second Corinthians chapter nine says, whoever sows will reap. Will, not like maybe, not potentially, whoever sows will reap. And we believe this truth in our lives. You know how I know we do? How many of you brush your teeth? It's always funny to see who's gonna raise their hand to that question, but it's more funny to go like, who didn't raise their hand? I need an extra chair. But we believe that the law of sowing and reaping is undefeated because we're going to sow into good dental hygiene. We're going to brush our teeth. We're going to floss. We're going to make sure we do the things needed so that in the end we will reap teeth that are healthy. We do it with our cars. We sow into good car maintenance, right? You take your car to get its oil changed every like 3,000 miles and, and you rotate the tires. I don't even know what that actually means. I mean, it's moving them around, but I don't know why. But like we do all these things to sow into good car maintenance so that we reap something different than being broken down on Winter's Freeway. Like we sow into, some of you like to sow into a cautious lifestyle so that you reap health and no hospital bills. Or there's people like me that like to sow into stupidity and you end up reaping an injury. You don't ever hear somebody like that's really, really cautious reap a broken arm because they went down a double diamond at the ski resort and broke their arm. Like that, you don't ever do that. You reap what you sow and the law of sowing and reaping is undefeated and we believe it in every area of our life until it comes to money. And then we start talking about money, and you know what? We're not so sure what we believe about the law of sowing and reap. Because when we think about money, we think about it in this context. I would like to spend my money however I want to, purchasing the things that I want, doing the things that I want, all for me. And we think about finances. Usually where we kind of land is we want whatever we want, and we keep saying these words, I, we, my. And I've got a proposition for you this morning. An uncomfortable one. What if the world's not all about you? What if? And we all actually deep down want the world to be bigger than us. We want to be a part of actually something grander, including with our finances. It's why this generation that's coming up has social justice at the forefront of their minds. And we can, we can treat that next generation like they're idiots and talk to them about how dumb they are, or we can recognize there's a spark inside of them that is actually a really important spark. And they're passionate about social justice issues. And so they come up with like great hashtags. Right, and they'll post pithy things on social media. Might even change their profile picture. But then somebody says, give to that cause, and it's like, whoa, 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 I don't care that much. I'm not sure that's, uh, I don't know. For many of us, it's time to flip the script and how we think about money. It's time to like change our whole thought process when we think about money and our finances. Because right now, whenever we start talking about money in church, everyone gets super uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable right now. 
So what churches generally do is they just don't talk about it. Which is weird, because like the only way I have a salary is if people give money. Things would be different if it didn't happen. And yet churches just like to, like to sweep the topic of money underneath the rug. and It's because we've all been sitting where you are. Maybe you're a guest this morning. And I started talking about money, and you're like, ah, oh, another church that all they do is talk about money. And I can tell you that we don't. But you have no idea. And just next week will be about money again. So if you come again, great. We love that you're here, but I promise we don't always talk about money. Or maybe you invited your friend to church. You like keep inviting them to church. You keep inviting them. And then finally they're like, well, fine, I'll come to church with you. And then you get here and you open up the bulletin. You see it's about money. And you're like, why, God? Why couldn't it be about anything else but money? And we get uncomfortable about the topic of money or, 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 or worse, like somebody brings up tithe. Like this idea in scripture that we're supposed to give 10% of our finances back to the church. And what we really desire to do in that moment, whenever we're in church and somebody's talking about money, we're like, ah, I wish I'd stopped at the guest services kiosk and grabbed the earplugs they have sitting out because our music is so unbelievably loud and shoved it in my ears so that I didn't have to listen to whatever was being said. We don't want to deal with the topic of money. And I've been there. When I was 15, I got my first job. I was roofing houses in Lubbock, Texas, in the middle of summer. Yeah, that dude whistling, he knows. <laughs> it's the surface of the sun. It was 140 degrees up there at times. My shoes would literally melt to the rubber on the roof. But I was making 10 bucks an hour as a 15-year-old at a time when minimum wage was $4.75. I had money. And my parents are amazing parents, and so they would talk to us about, about tithing and about making sure we use our money wisely. And, and so they talked to us about it like I knew that. But the church we went to was pretty wealthy. And my mindset was, like, I mean, it's good money for a 15-year-old roofing houses in Lubbock, Texas, but I'm, like, not even a real person yet. I, they need real people money. They need, like, not 15-year-old roofing money. They need, like, real people money. So my parents, who are in this service right now, are finding out for the first time that I never tithed. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> then I got a job uh, at United... And uh, I was unathletic and didn't have anything else to do, so I worked all the time. And I just worked 30 hours a week, 35 hours a week in high school, and I just had a big old bank account. It was awesome. I had a ton of money, but that lie that I had believed when I was 15, it remained that they don't need my money. They need, like, adult people money. They need, like, real money, not, not my money. And so I would look at everyone else, and I would go, well, they're probably giving well. They're probably giving well. I'm fine. I'm just going to sit on the sidelines. And you know what? That church was perfectly fine without me. You know who missed out? Me. The often we get so focused on what we think the church needs and our money that we miss out on God's heart behind tithing and generosity. God does call the believer to give a 10% tithe of their money to the church. It's a principle that we'll really dive into next week. And the church that I went to, they made their budget. They were perfectly fine. Everything was okay. And, but I would guess there was a bunch of me's in that church 
There were a bunch of people that thought, well, everyone else is giving their 10%. My 10% is this measly little 10%. They don't need me at all, so I'm going to let everybody else give, and I'll sit on the sideline. And imagine what that church could have been like if everyone that was like me sitting on the sideline with our finances bought into God's heart for tithing and generosity. What would that have looked like? Here's the fun truth this morning. There's a lot of me's in our church right now. And imagine what God can do when we buy into what he talks about money. Because it's not just a a restriction and a rule on how you're supposed to use your finances. It's so much bigger than that. And when we believe that the law of sowing and reaping is undefeated, and when we believe that that is the truth that scripture lays out for us, then the reality is, It's not about the expectation. It's about that God has a reward for us when we sow the way that he calls us to. When we buy into what he says about money, there's a reward. How different would it be for us when we started thinking about finances if our first response wasn't stress? It wasn't anxiety at the bills that are stacking up on our counter right now that we know all have to be paid and we're not sure how we're going to do that. It's not about trying to make it from paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. But what if our thought when we begin to think about money was, God, you have always come through. You're rewarding me in the present. You're going to reward me in the future. Because that's what scripture outlines. It outlines that whenever we are faithful with our finances, the Lord will reward us and bless others through us. And many of you right now are starting to tune me out because you're like, this is some prosperity gospel nonsense. I don't believe that just I give and God's going to give. Like, as long as I give, it's health, wealth, and everything peaceful. Listen here, non-David. Stop talking about money and just let's move on. (laughs) Or maybe you're on the other side and you're like, God has never rewarded me for anything. Why would I believe that he can do it now? I get it, because when we start talking about the law of sowing and reaping and we begin to think about God having a reward for us, it feels weird to believe that that's true. But scripture says the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I love Paul knowing humanity. He says, all right, the point is this. He's like giving us a big giant billboard because he knew we would miss the main point and so he's going, hey, This is the point. This is the point. Whoever sows will reap. The amount and type of our harvest is directly tied to how we've sown. But this isn't a dollar amount. It's not not you give God X amount of dollars and then he will reward you tenfold. That is not what it's about because as soon as we go, well, it's about an amount. I can always look to somebody who's giving more than me. And therefore, their reward is going to be greater than my reward. So I'll just let them receive the reward and I'll just continue to stay in the same thought process I've been in. It is not the amount. It's about the heart behind the amount. And Jesus talks about that in Mark 12. Says this, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, 
out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Jesus says, hey, it's not about the amount. It's the heart behind the amount. What are you going to do with what you individually, forget everyone else, you, your spouse, your finances, what are you gonna do with what you've been given? Because I guarantee you, this widow received an award abundant, far more than the two little tiny copper coins that she put in there. She received an abundant reward and all of us want abundant rewards. All of you who didn't raise your hand about the do you brush your teeth, if I were to say, hey, everyone, if you want abundant rewards, raise your hand, everyone's gonna go, yeah. And if I were to say, hey, if you want sparse rewards, will you raise your hand? Like no one's gonna raise their hand, that's insane. We all want the abundant rewards that God has for us, but for us to receive the bountiful reward, we have to sow in such a way that is even an option to us. This could potentially surprise some of you, but I am not a farmer. I know you look at me and you're like, you must farm and do ranchy things. I don't. I don't at all. Most of you don't either. Even all you dudes with your big trucks trying to pretend like you're a rancher, you're not, okay? You just like the big trucks and annoying people on the road. Paul's talking to a group of people that would understand farming. Like they're gonna understand the, the planting, sowing, reaping. But it's an analogy that's not lost on all of us non-farmers too. Like even I, in my just very cursory knowledge of farming, know that if I would like an apple tree, I should plant something different than an orange seed. Like if I want a luscious tomato plant, I don't need to, to plant cilantro. And yet many of us are hoping for a harvest of apple trees and sow an orange. And we're hoping for just a bountiful reward of tomato plants. But we're throwing cilantro around with our money. We will see the fruit in our lives based on what we choose to plant. So if I want a bountiful harvest, if I want the reward God offers, I better figure out what I need to be planting. Matthew outlines it like this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Let me break it down easier for you. We can sow into ourselves or we can sow into the kingdom of God. And our natural inclination, all of us, every single one of us, our natural inclination is to sow into ourselves, getting what I want. You know why? Because I worked for this money. I was the one that stayed at the office late. I was the one that did the project. I was the one that tried to find the best paying job. I was the one that spent my money the way that I needed to. I was the one that did all the things needed for my bank account to look like this. I did this. You know what? You did. I mean, forgetting the part of Scripture that says every good and perfect gift comes from God and forgetting the part of Scripture that talks about God being provider, you did it. You made the money. And you could purchase the things. 
And now everyone's like, well, are you going to start talking about how possessions are bad? No. A new house, a new car, the Hawaiian vacation. I mean, I think you're insane. If you're going to the beach, you could go lots of better places. But like, oh, those things are not bad. Possessions aren't bad. Things aren't bad. Those are not bad things. And we think about money and what we think God wants out of us is to just live this life of asceticism where we give everything away and we buy a brown robe and we hum a lot and we live in a cave. That is not God's heart for us. God actually wants you to have things that you can enjoy. Because our God is a God of joy. And he wants you to have joy. He wants you to have things. Buy the things. That's fine. What Matthew was outlining is this. You just can't take it with you. And when we choose to sow into ourselves, we will only from those things reap for ourselves. That is how the law of sowing and reaping is undefeated. I heard a preacher say it like this one time. What we keep is all we have. What we give, God multiplies in the future. That lines up with what Matthew says. You can spend your money on you, and that's fine. You can do that. You can build up for yourselves treasures. They're just going to be gone at some point. Or we can sow into the kingdom of God, and then what we'll receive is provision in the now, joy from the Father, and reward for eternity, that that is what is offered to us through our money. But, but what we have to do is sow not into ourselves, but into the kingdom of God. And you know what that looks like? Generosity. Generosity. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul says this. If you want to reap the bountiful reward, you got to sow bountifully and you got to do it without a begrudging heart. You can't just, oh, God, you want me to pay for that girl's dinner? <sighs> okay. But anyone that's ever given without any, like, expectation of return has felt the joy that you feel in that moment. A few years ago, it was Christmas time, and uh, my wife and I, our youngest daughter, had, like, gotten out of the crib stage, which is an awesome stage of life to get out of, except for the fact that then they're old enough to, like, walk into your room and slap you in the face in the middle of the night, and that stinks, but everything else is fun about that. So we were going to sell her crib and the dresser and everything that Christmas, and so we put it on Facebook Marketplace, which is the Hunger Games for adults, and it's disaster. It's a disaster of a place. Put it on there, had a lady message me back, and she was like, we put it on for 400 bucks. She was like, will you take 300? Because that is everyone's response on Facebook is just, how much can I offer you less than what you're selling it for? And so I, uh, I said, sure, 300 is fine. I don't care, take this junk from me. And uh, she messaged me back and she was like, okay, can you keep it for me for a couple of weeks though? Because I need to, uh, I, I've got to wait till my next paycheck. Money's really tight. I need the crib, but like money is super tight right now. And so we just need to, I just need to wait till the next paycheck. So I called my wife uh, and I said, hey, Sarah, what, what do you think about us just giving it to him? And Sarah is always a yes to that. I don't think I've ever in the 15 years we've been married, I've gone, hey, Sarah, what do you think if we give? She didn't even listen. She didn't let me finish. She's like, yeah, sure, whatever. I don't care. And so I said, uh, I messaged the lady back and I was like, I, but it was Christmas. So like I wanted it to be a Christmas present and like a fun Christmas surprise. So I was like, okay, 
Here's the deal. You can come pick it up right now. Just come use it for a little while. Then when you get paid, you can pay us. And then when she got to the house to pick all the stuff up, I was going to be like, ah, gotcha. Merry Christmas. And uh, which is a weird thing to do. I don't know what I was going through in my brain at that time, but <laughs> I felt like a good way to give a Christmas present. So <laughs> it wasn't, but whatever. And so I messaged her that. She messaged me back and she was like, oh, thank you so much. But, but can you deliver it? And I'm like, Never mind. No, I'm just kidding. I was like, I was like uh, yeah, I can. Because I was remembering in that moment that God had blessed me with a truck a few years before. And, how, you know, the Holy Spirit was just going to full-on thump me if I didn't listen to him. And so we loaded everything up. We took it over to her house. We started taking it in. We put it, uh, we put it in her, the room for her. And as we're walking in, we see that she's got a couple of young girls that are a few years younger than my girl's age. And they got a Christmas tree that's set up. There's, there's just a couple of presents wrapped underneath there. And so we told her at the end, we were like, hey, we just want to say Merry Christmas. And um, she was super thankful. We were really full of joy. And we walked outside and I looked at my wife and I looked at my girls and I was like, hey, y'all want to go shopping? And like no one's ever said that to three females at the same time and been told no. <laughs> so they were like, yeah. And I was like, it's not for you. And they were like, oh, okay. Yeah, still shopping though. And so we went to Walmart at Christmas and uh, loaded everything up. Was loaded two carts up of toys and clothes and everything we could, candy. And we took it, I messaged the lady back and I was like, hey, can we, uh, I forgot something for the bed. Can I bring it to you? Which I don't know if God's okay with lying in that scenario, but I tested the waters. <laughs> and, and I took it over there and she opens the door and we just parade all these presents in there and put them underneath her tree. And we were walking out and I said, hey, I just want to tell you, you're loved and Merry Christmas. And we walked out. You know what happened after that? Not a clue. I don't know, she could have thrown all that away. But I can tell you what happened in me. I mean, I can tell you the joy I felt in that moment that was irrational. I can tell you that I got to have some great conversations with two girls who are learning about money, and I got to talk to them about what it looks like to give to people. I got to remind, it was a good reminder for all of us how God had continued to be the provider in our family in such a way that we could do something like that. It was unbelievable to get to experience God in that moment, giving us a harvest immediately. And whenever we're in those seasons that we get the opportunity to sow into what God might be doing, it's incredible. See, God is always writing a story. And we get to be a part of what he's doing lots of times. So we're generous. We sow into the kingdom of God. And that's easy to do whenever, like, money is good, job is good, career's going fine, you got the bonus in the bank, the bank account looks fine. It's easy to be generous in seasons like that. Where it's truly incredible to walk in radical generosity is when money is a little tighter and you still decide to walk out that principle of sowing and reaping whenever it isn't easy or convenient. I'm Tracy, and in the last year and a half, I've been through quite a bit of a struggle. Um, after being married for 35 years, um, that ended suddenly. Had never really been on my own and had a lot of fears about that whenever I finished college, I married a week later. So up and for the next 35 years was never by myself, having to depend on myself financially and all of those things. And so I had a lot of fear going into that and just wondering if, could I make ends meet? Could I get through this? Could I pay my house payment? Could I pay my car payment? Could I 
find a place to live that I could afford? Was I gonna have to, to live in a little bitty dumpy place that had rats? I just had all kinds of fears. But I had a lot of people that just gathered around me and prayed into that and helped me just stay strong and believe that God could take care of me. And as time went on, um, I continued to give as I always had and helping out some ministries that I help out and just decided I was gonna go ahead and do that no matter what. I applied for and got a new job at work that gave me an increased uh, income. And so that made me feel better, but I was, I still had a lot of fear and I would worry about things mostly late at night. And I was getting some money from my ex-husband. Um, and so I just kept wanting to sock that away. But in, in God's humor and favor, He kept making sure I still had enough to give, even though it was an act of faith, because you want to kind of just, but I could put that away too. He would, it seemed like just meet a need that I didn't, that I thought I was going to have and I didn't have. And so I was, I just kept feeling like continually, I can still give, I can still give. And so I feel like he met me in that place where I might have not been able to do it. Even then, he kept being generous and kept giving me favor so that I, it was a step of faith for me, but at the same time, I felt like he gave me that faith. This past Sunday before church, I was writing in my journal and I was just thinking and praying and writing that the word favor kept coming to me. I just felt like God had given me so much favor. And especially just in the last few months, I got a raise that I wasn't expecting. And then a month later, I got a bonus that I wasn't expecting. I got a refund on my escrow account that I wasn't expecting. And then just this past week, I found out that my house payment was going down. I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't know that could happen. So that was just one more thing. Everything that happened, I just kept saying, God, you're doing this. You favor. I just kept thinking favor. See, what Tracy modeled is that for us to walk in generosity in the hard times, we got to be prepared for it. Like, it isn't just going to happen. It's not something that just, like, we're not naturally going to make sure that we have enough money to give away. We have to position ourselves to sow generously. Because if we just wait for it to happen, it won't. We're naturally consumers. We're going to consume what's in front of us. We're going to consume what we have if we don't plan for it and prepare ourselves for it. If we're going to have the, the flip script, the flip script, if we're going to flip the script, with our finances and change our thought process, it's going to be a preparation and a planning. We can't just wait for the end of the month and like hope there's money left over and give it away. We've got to go at the beginning of the month. You know what? I'm not going to have 60 Starbucks this month. Just 30. And you're going to have like $5,000 more than you did last month. <laughs> and so much more time. It might mean that our kids only play in one travel team instead of four. It might mean that we say no to some things so that we can say yes to others. We have to plan and prepare so that we can put ourselves in a position to sow generously. And then whenever we do that, we get to walk out the principle of sowing and reaping. 
get to have a Tuesday. We're at the store and we're listening for the Lord all the time. And he's going to go, hey, that mom in front of you wrestling with those two kids, buy her groceries. You're going to go, really, God? He's like, yeah, just do it. And you get to see how God moves in little, small, generous acts. It's not always the big, giant ones that are the things that move people. It's little things. And if you're listening to the Holy Spirit with your money, you're listening to the Father as he talks to you about finances, you're never going to be able to outgive him because he's always going to provide for you enough to live generously. See, our text goes on to say this, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for this food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Whatever he's called you to give, he will provide for you to give. And then what's amazing, when we walk in absurd generosity, the kind of generosity the Father calls us to, guess what? It points people to his goodness. We get to use our money, these temporal things, and we get to point people to the goodness of our God through generosity. That's incredible. And whenever we sow the way he calls us to, we reap a harvest of generosity from the Father. The law of sowing and reaping is undefeated. If you can come up with a scenario that it hasn't come through, tell me after service, because I've thought and thought about it and tried to come up with one. It's undefeated. You might sow financially, and guess what? Reap financially. But it might not be money. It could be just the irrational joy you feel when you give. It could be that God uses your generosity to radically alter someone's life or to sow into a nonprofit that is moving in incredible ways. It, it might be that you begin to give to Pregnancy Resources of Abilene or, or you might begin to give to somebody that's digging wells in Africa or you might give to the local food bank and, and all of those ways are radically moving people's lives and you might find out about all the stories of the way God is using, and that can be your harvest. What I believe is going to happen, and this is going to be fun to watch in heaven, I believe that you're going to be in heaven, and if you've sowed in generosity, there will be people that will walk up, they will introduce themselves to you, and they will say, I found Jesus because of the way you walked out this principle. You might never know what your harvest is, it might not be something tangible. That, that Christmas, we did the whole crib thing. I didn't get a phone call the next day from someone that was like, hey, can I give your kids a bunch of toys? Somebody didn't write me a check that covered all that I just paid for in presents and stuff. Yet we received a harvest. Other times, God actually has produced a harvest of finances. When my wife and I first got married, we were 19 and 20. That sounds insane, doesn't it? It didn't feel that way, but it does now. We had gotten married, and uh, we were both working a bunch, and still money was really, really tight. And I was at United one day, and uh, a man walked in, the man I knew well, His name's Ray Templeton. 
Knowing Ray, he was wearing a set of overalls and a dumb A&M shirt. So I'm not sure he had any other clothes. Whoever whooped, just give me a second. I'm going to make fun of A&M more in a second. Uh, Ray was an elder at our church for a long time and one of the most generous men I've ever known. He handed me an envelope, and actually a guy I was working with handed us two envelopes, one each. And I opened it, and in there was a check from Ray and Gaylene, his wife, for $1,000. Right about Christmas time. And a note that said, Jeffrey, just want you to know you're loved. Merry Christmas. Words that a few years later I would get to go and tell a family that I never would ever see again. The principle I saw modeled in Ray, I got to walk out, model it for my kids, and hopefully they'll take it and model it for their kids. And Ray's up in heaven this year. <clears throat> Just probably singing the A&M fight song. If God allows that in heaven, and I doubt it, I don't think, that, I don't think that's scriptural at all. And Ray's up there hearing this story for the first time about how something he did for a 20-year-old moron who was just in dire straits financially, struggling as a newlywed, and how it moved me. And then years later, we got to see it move somebody else. And Ray had a direct impact on that thing. And he's reaping a harvest forever and ever. And when Ray got to heaven, he got to hear the words that are said in the book of Matthew. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Ray heard those words. He heard, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Now come enjoy your master's happiness. And the law of sowing and reaping is undefeated. I want to be faithful in the few so that I can see the many. I want well done, good and faithful servant. I want what God has. More than settling for whatever I think I want. If he promises a bountiful harvest, that's what I want. I want the treasures forever, not the treasures in the here and now. And that's what God offers us. He offers well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful to few. Here's many. Come enjoy your master's happiness. And our God is a God of abundance, and that's what he wants for us. That's what he wants for you. So if you will, if you bow your heads, we're going to take a moment to respond. I want you to just ask your own self in your own heart and spirit, what do I think about money? Do I actually believe that if I sow, God will allow me to reap? And then for those of you who, uh, who have someone else tied to your bank account, a spouse, kids, I'm going to ask you to do something radical, and I recognize that. If you would be willing to commit to having a conversation with your spouse, about money and about how you're sowing your money 
Will you raise your hand right now? You can put your hands down. God, we thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for men like Ray Templeton who modeled this principle so well. God, would you give us the boldness to rush into the hard conversation about money and see what you actually have, not what we often settle for. It's in your name we pray, amen.